Father, thank you for these three that have chosen to join in what you've called us to do here. We pray over them, Father, that you would bless them as they take a stand to commit to you. And we thank you, Father, that you enable them to find their place in what you've called them to do. The gifts that you have placed in them, we're grateful for them. And help us as a body to come alongside of them and and embrace them, not just with our arms, but with our hearts and with our prayers and with our love. That as a body here, this is part of your body, but as the body here at Faith Christian Center, we might truly become one. Sometimes, Father, it seems so overwhelming as we are aware so much of the differences, even in this place, and we've talked about them before. But the heart, the, your, the heart, your heart and the spirit you placed in us is more powerful than any effort of the enemy to divide us. And so we stand today in faith, trusting you and believing you to bring us together in a level we've never been at before so that the power of your spirit may actually work in this place at new levels. And for this, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we pray for this message today. For I've never preached this in a Sunday morning service before. And so I'm trusting you, as I always endeavor to do, that I would only speak what you've put in my heart for this congregation, for for those that will hear the words that will be spoken this morning. We trust you, Father, that your Spirit will guide us not only in what I say, but in what we're enabled to hear. We're aware that there's an enemy out there that would try to distract us so that we don't hear the truth of the gospel for the things that you have provided for us. And so we take authority over that enemy today and we declare that the truth of the gospel will go forth in this place and we will receive what eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that you have prepared for those who love you. But your spirit's been given to us to reveal those things that are down in the depths of your heart. And today we trust the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Acts chapter 2, we, we, uh, two weeks ago before Russ Taff was here, we focused on this. We've been talking about um, uh, looking, pulling, pulling back the curtain and looking what's behind the curtain. The curtain reflects our flesh and it divides the spirit realm from our senses so that we're not aware of what's really going on in the spirit realm. And then for several weeks we talked about power from on high, which is not just living behind the curtain in that spirit realm, but allowing the power of what's behind that curtain, which literally is inside of us, to begin to flow out. And we spent some time talking about and preparing that. And then two weeks ago we looked at when Jesus released this into the church, those, those 120 in the very beginning. And he commanded them before he was physically ascended into heaven that they wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high, power to be a witness for him in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the parts of the world. And so they did that. They waited for him. We talked about the, the attitude of waiting, of expecting, of not understanding exactly what was going to happen and having to trust that what he said was going to happen. And then we looked at these words that on the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all of one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. It's amazing how sometimes with God things happen suddenly. As a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire which sat on each one of them. We talked about that's the glory of God. Verse 4. And they were all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we talked about two weeks ago that they were already born again because Jesus breathed on them between the time he was raised from the dead and the time he was physically ascended into heaven. So they were already born again. So this is an additional experience to enable them, empower them to be that witness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Keep going. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Keep going. And when the sound had occurred, this sound had occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because they heard everyone speaking in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? In other words, they're hicks. They're not educated. They're from the country. They're not sophisticated. They're not linguists. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Keep going. 
all the rest of these places. Keep going. Verse 11, and, the, and we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now at the end of this service two weeks ago, we gave an opportunity to, for those that have never had that experience or wanted to be renewed and to come up. And we had this whole front of the congregation filled. And because of the shortness of time, I had to just go through and lay hands on people, which is a scriptural thing to do, and, 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 and then release those who wanted further prayer for this to go into another room. Because of time, what I did not get a chance to do is to talk about this aspect of it. And as I said in, this, in my prayer a few minutes ago, I've never taught this on a Sunday morning service. And, and I, I should have as I look back on this. Because uh, what we're going to talk about is, is what is this experience that they had when they all spoke in tongues. Now, in my 40-some years experience as a Christian, this is one of the two or three issues that I have found more contention in the body of Christ. There, there, there are churches that are divided over this issue. And that's not God. That means we've gotten our, our, our perspective off in this. But that doesn't mean we don't talk about it. That doesn't mean we don't teach it because it's in the Bible and it's something Jesus told them would happen and did happen. Let's go quickly to Mark chapter 16. This is part of the Great Commission. Later he appeared to the eleven. This is just before he's ascended into heaven. As he sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief. Isn't this amazing? They see him crucified, dead. They see him raised from the dead. He's been walking among them for almost 50 days and, and, and they still are struggling with believing. He rebukes them because of their unbelief and the hardness of their heart. This is the disciples because they did not believe those had seen him after he had risen. Verse 15. He said to them, this is the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Yes, we all agree on that. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Yes, amen, we believe that. And these signs will follow the apostles of the Lamb. These signs will follow the first century Christians. Oh, it doesn't say that. These signs will follow those who believe. Now just rebuke their unbelief. This signs, a sign, now let's talk for a minute what a sign is. A sign is not the thing itself, it points you to something. So if you're driving down, coming from the, from the east side and have the, the, the courage to cross the Washington Bridge <laughs> and come over into this side, you'll see a sign that says entering Massachusetts right before the exit to get here. That sign's not Massachusetts. But it tells you, you have entered something that's real, Massachusetts. So this, Jesus is telling them that there are signs of what? Signs of what's behind the curtain. Signs that there is a God behind the curtain. Signs that there is a Christ behind the... Signs that the spiritual things are real because we're so, we need to see physical evidence of things that are spiritual because we need that confirmation. And certainly the world does. These signs will follow those who believe. So the fact that it's a sign of something spiritual means it has to be something that's supernatural. So the things we're going to talk about are things that are not a natural talent or ability. They are supernatural, which means they are initiated, in these cases, they're initiated by the Spirit of God for His purposes. Those who believe, in my name they will cast out demons. That makes some people uncomfortable. And they will speak with new tongues. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you'll see Jesus said these things. So this is not a church doctrine. This is not something somebody came up with, some fanatic came up with, unless you consider Jesus a fanatic. Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. One of those signs is they will speak with new tongues. The word new there is a Greek word that means something that's brand new, that's been initiated, that you didn't have before. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. All right, so, let's just make some general comments. First of all, 
What we're doing here this morning, which is why I have not done this a lot before, is we're taking one particular element of what happened and we're going to devote a morning to focusing on this one development. And what happened, by doing this, I don't, want to, I don't want to make it more than it is, but I want to address it. On the other hand, the Apostle Paul devotes one entire chapter of one of his letters to this very subject alone. To my recollection, and there may be some others that can think of something, I can't think of any other single chapter devoted to one particular thing unless it's 1 Corinthians 13, which is devoted to love. So this is important enough that the Apostle Paul devoted an entire chapter to it, but he did it because of the errors that the church in Corinth were in. And the error they made is these gifts were flowing with such abundance, they thought they were so spiritual and they were getting so caught up in these different gifts, one of which was tongues, that they were missing the most essential thing, which is why they were there, which is to minister the love of God. But the church is going to the other extreme. Instead of having these in excess, we kind of ignore them because either they make us uncomfortable or because they were back in the first century and we don't need those anymore. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, so we're going to do this because I, for first reason is because I ministered this two weeks ago and this is, this is part of what's been given to you, part of the gift of the Holy Spirit Jesus teaches is this gift of tongues. We're going to talk about what that is. And I don't want you cheated because it's a very important gift. On the other hand, I don't want us going around arguing over this and pointing out, well, I speak in tongues and you don't. That's divisive. But I want you to be able to receive a precious gift that God has given to you. And I'll share my own testimony in this and how I struggle with this myself towards the end. All right, we've got to move along. Because I've got to take two, two, two class hours worth of teaching and I've got to reduce it to about half an hour, a little less than that. So let's go through... Um, Let's go through. First of all, tongues are not the focus of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there are some evidence that it had happened in them. So let's go look at some other instances of where people were filled with the Holy Spirit and see whether there's any indication that this evidence was there, there also. So we see here, Acts chapter 2, the very beginning, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke with their tongues. Acts chapter 8. Now this is where the apostles went down to Jeru- at Jerusalem. They heard that Samaria, which was north of Jerusalem, had received the word of God. So they sent Peter and John to them. And when they come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For that he had not yet fallen on, he had not yet fallen, he had fallen on none of them. They, they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, just as we did two weeks ago. Now look at this. Now, Simon's a sorcerer. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered up money. Stop there a second. He had to see something that was real enough to him that he was willing to pay money to have the same ability to dispose this, dispose, dispense this that the apostles had. He offered them money. So he saw something that happened. Verse 19. And he says, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So, obviously what happened here is they didn't lay hands on him, pray over them, and these people got a big smile on their face and left and went home. Something happened that was obvious to Simon enough that he saw there was a power released and he wanted the power to do that, that he was willing to fork over some money for that. All right, let's look at a couple of other instances here. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. This is the Apostle Paul. Paul, Paul has been, you know the story, Paul was a, a Pharisee. He was on, his, on, on the road to Jerusalem with letters to arrest the Christians that were in Damascus. And on the way, Jesus literally appeared to him and the glory of his appearance knocked Paul off his horse, off his high horse, <laughs> off his horse. And Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus takes whatever happens in his church personally as if it happens to him, but doesn't that make sense since we're his body? 
something happens to my big toe, I take it personally because it's my big toe, it's part of me. And so Paul was led into Damascus and for a number of days was blinded by the experience that he had and then Jesus appears to a man named Ananias and tells him to go lay hands on Paul. And Paul, and, and Ananias argues with him, it's Jesus said, don't you know who this guy is? As if Jesus didn't realize what he was doing. Oh, I forgot who he is, I'm sorry. And so he says, no, you must go. I want to show him the things. This is what he's called to do. He's called to take my word to the Gentiles, to kings, and also to Jews. And I want to show him because the things he's going to have to go through. And so Ananias went on his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him. That's the apostle Paul, whose name was Saul at the time. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, keep going. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once and arose and was baptized. And when he received his food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some time with the disciples at Damascus. Well, well, well wait, Pastor John, there's nothing in there about speaking in tongues. We're not going to turn there, but we're going to look later on at 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, I speak in tongues more than y'all, of you all. Paul says, I speak with tongues and I sing with tongues. So Paul, we're going to see Paul laid hands on people to receive the gift of tongues. So let's move on. Acts chapter 10. This is a story of when uh, God sent, or Jesus sent Peter over to, this is a new this is a new expansion of the gospel. Peter's come over to, to, to Caesarea because there's a devout Roman officer there and, and who's been praying. And, and at that point, Jews would never even enter into a Gentile's house because this Roman officer is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. But God has in a vision shown Peter that I'm going to do something that we've not done before. So he sends Peter over to, 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 um, to Cornelius and when he, he prays over Cornelius, that's a long story, I've got to shorten it down. While Peter was st- still speaking these words, they laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. He hasn't even prayed for them yet. He's still speaking the word. And those of the circumstances believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Stop there a second. God has told Peter, that he's going to include the Gentiles in this covenant that God has entered into with, with the Jews through Christ's sacrifice. And he's trying to show this to Peter. So first of all, it's with a, a vision that he has way back in the house that he was in. Now here's a sign that these, men are, these people are saved because they've received the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit's been poured out on the Gentiles also. Next verse. And they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that those should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So this is without even laying hands on them. He's explaining the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls on them and they start speaking in tongues. And now the Jews believe that God has given this gift to the Gentiles. Okay, let's look at one more. Let's look at Acts 19. This is Paul now praying. Acts 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Apparently it was important. Notice they'd already believed. Have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We've not so much as heard as that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? He said, into John's baptism, verse 4. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying that people should believe on him who comes after him, and this is on Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid hands on them. When Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. What is this? It's a supernatural sign that the Spirit was operating. We'll see, we won't have time to get in there, but in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is instructing this church that's kind of gone crazy with the gifts of the Spirit, what these gifts are. And he lists nine gifts in there. And he explains to them what they are. 
they are manifestations of the Spirit. Now, what's a manifestation? A manifestation is to help you see something that was already there. Best example I can think of, a few years ago, we went with Steve and Cynthia on a whale watch. And we're out on this whale watch, we're out on this boat, and there's just ocean water out there. And, and they've told us we're going to see whales, and so by faith we're out there. And, but we don't know for sure that there are any whales until all of a sudden, whoosh, this tail comes up out of the water. And now we know there's a whale down there because a part of that whale has manifested himself so that we can see with our natural senses what's below the water that we can't see. We learned that day that, that the, the, these people know these whales so much that that fluke, that tail, has a certain pattern that's, that's unique to each whale so they can identify which whale that is. And Paul went through and identified nine manifestations of the Spirit. So what is the Spirit? It's behind the veil. We're still looking at how to look behind the veil and there's sometimes God, instead of us peeking behind the veil, God comes out from behind the veil and shows us something. So we know He's behind the veil and we know something about what He's like. So these manifestations are to tell us two things. It's to prove to our sense, show to our senses that God is real even though you can't see Him. And then to show you something about what God is like, which is why 1 Corinthians 13 is so important, because it says you can operate in all these gifts like nobody else ever operated in them, but if you don't do it out of love, you've completely missed it, because you've missed what God's like, which is what they're intended to show. So if these are... Man- these are but they're Supernatural. Supernatural. Let's talk about what the significance of these are, why I think they're important. One of them is Genesis chapter 11. We'll have to go through this quickly. The whole earth was of one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly that they made brick... That they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Notice how this is all, we're going to do this, we're going to make a name for ourselves, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So this is man, fallen man, trying to build his own kingdom. He's trying to build a tower to get up to heaven by his own efforts of which he's going to get credit. The Bible calls that in the New Testament self-righteousness. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they began and this is what they began to do. Now look at this. Now nothing that they purpose <coughs> to do will be withheld from them. So God is saying, because they're all of one accord, because they all speak the same language, because they're communicating perfectly, nothing they purpose to do, even though it's not my will, can be stopped. Boy, is there a message in that about that they all may be one. There's a message in this for marriage. Why do you think the devil tries to confound the communication between a husband and wife? Because he knows the power of that unity. Why does he try to divide a church so that we talk about one another and we disagree and talk about those things. Why does he do that? Because he knows the power that's in the unity. So God said, we have got to go down there and the only way we can stop them is if we confuse their language so they do not understand one another's speech. We're not going to go on with that. He did that and he called it Babel. This is called the Tower of Babel. And that's the root word for Babylon. Okay, Pastor John, what's that got to do? What's that got to do with this? Let's go to James chapter three. You got it there? 
I can read it. There we go. Well, you can start at one. That's fine. Now, brethren, let not many of you become teachers. This makes me shudder when I read this. Knowing that you receive a stricter judgment. Anybody want the keys for here? <laughs> this is what I want to get to. Look at this. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect or mature man. Look at this. Able also to bridle the whole body. So in order to be mature, one of the signs is, is that you control your words. You don't just speak out whatever comes, comes to your... In other words, there's not a direct line between your brain and your mouth or your flesh in your mouth. Somehow it ought to process through God's Word and God's Spirit in you. So James is saying that the problem is that in order to, be, in order to control your whole body, you have to be able to control your words. Everybody with me? Yeah. It dawned on me one day in reading that that the reverse of that must be true. That in order to surrender your whole body you have to be willing to surrender your tongue to another to give him control. Remember it said in Acts chapter 2, it says, and they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. He doesn't just come in and take control of you and you start speaking things you don't know what they are. You have to yield to his promptings within you. But there's something about yielding. If we, won't, if, we want, if we have to control every word that comes out of our mouth, we should do that when, our, when we're in our flesh. But when the Spirit of God is inspiring you in order to let Him have full reign, it sounds to me as if you've got to be willing to let Him control what comes out of your mouth. And I'll tell you that in my testimony in a few minutes. Let's look at a couple of other benefits of this, reasons for the significance it enhances our communion with God. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. He who speaks in a tongue, an unknown tongue, does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however, even the Spirit, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Stay there a second. Paul's writing this, we'll see this in a minute if, if we have time to get to it, in the context of how the church at Corinth was speaking tongues in a church service. And it was chaos. Somebody would stand up and speak out tongues over here. Somebody would stand up and speak out in tongues over here. They were competing with one another. And Paul says, in a church service, you're missing it because your whole focus on what you've got to say. But there are people in here that have never experienced that before. And they don't know what you're going to talk about. So in a church setting, you need to be guided by what's going to benefit other people, not you. So he says, if you're going to speak in tongues, then you've got to give the interpretation of it so that people can understand what you're saying. Otherwise, nobody's missing it. But here he refers to the private use of tongues, which we'll talk about in a minute. He says, because the purpose of the private use of tongues is you're speaking mysteries to God in the Spirit. Well, John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, Jesus talking to the woman at the well about worship, says, because God is a spirit, you can only truly worship Him in spirit, behind the curtain. But if that's true of worship, it's also true of talking to God. So when we pray in tongues, when we're, we're, there's, a, there's a divine communication that's taking place directly between your spirit and God's spirit. And go to the next verse in chapter 14 that you should have there. If, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, when you're praying, when you're praying, private prayer, and you're praying you're, you're to God in tongues, your brain doesn't understand it. And your brain, I don't know about yours, my brain wants to understand everything I do. And when I started doing this, my brain would freak out. But it needed to freak out. It needed to be put on hold and say, you don't control me anymore. But not only can't my mind understand what I'm saying, the devil can't understand what you're saying. And that drives him crazy. Well, I wish it did. So it's a private communication you have with God. Okay. That's precious to you. In fact, go back to... Uh, you may not have it there. That's okay. All right. So what is it? 
What is this? Well, the Greek word for tongue here is glossa, glossolalia, it's called, speaking in tongues, and used symbolically of language. And as I said earlier in Mark chapter 16, it's the Greek word is kainos, which means new in nature, not in time. It's something that's not been before, for you. In Hebrew, in Acts 2.4, where it says in other tongues, it uses the word heteros, which we've talked about before. Heteros means another, but of a different kind, different kind than you speak. So it's a language, it's, it's language that, 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 you don't, that you don't understand. Now, there are cases where it's actually another language, which you see in Acts chapter 2. I know of instances where that's happened. Brother Hagen had situations where he would be in a meeting speaking out and people walked in and, and he was speaking a language he didn't know and people began to understand it in their, in their language which he didn't speak, which is what happened here. I know of a number of cases where that's happened. So it, it, it's, it's a language... We knew somebody when we were in Bible school, uh, was, the wife was going through it and her husband was a linguist. He spoke 34 languages or dialects and he got filled with the Spirit. So I asked her, did he know what he was saying? Because <laughs> you just eliminated 34 languages. She said, no, but it just flowed out of him. It's a supernatural communion between you and God that bypasses your mind and speaks mysteries. Mysteries to who? Mysteries to you, to God. We'll see in a few minutes. It also edifies you. It builds you up. It strengthens you. It's like charging your spiritual battery. Because what does it do? It makes, remember we talked about before, the, the essence of who you are is a spirit being that's from behind the curtain. But most of our life, we live conscious of everything on this side of the curtain, which is our mind and our flesh. But if, when, you have, when, you, when you pray in the spirit, when you, and I do it off and on all day long, not every day, but I'll go along and I know I'm doing it. But what I'm doing, it's I'm connecting with that part of me that's behind the curtain so that I'm more conscious of it. I'm more conscious of it. Okay, we've got to move along quickly here. Now, a couple of things that confuse people. Uh, and, and it is, first of all, uh, that, that this ended. 1 Corinthians 13, put this up. That this passed away. This is the last part of 1 Corinthians 13, obviously. It says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Oh, it says tongues will cease. Okay. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish away. That's the word of knowledge. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect comes, then that which is in part will be done away with. Stop there. Go back there a second. Now, what's he talking about here? I've, I've heard teachings that say that refers to the Bible. So when the Bible came, we don't need this anymore. All right? Because now we have the Bible. But he says we know in part... That which is perfect coming, that which is part, will be done away with. Go, go ahead. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see face, now we see in a mirror dimly, a glass dimly. It's like in the morning when you take in a shower and you get out, man, and you're going to shave, those of you that still do, and it's fogged up. It's dangerous to take that sharp instrument when you can't see clearly. And what he's referring to is looking in a mirror that's dirty or fine, so we don't see perfectly clearly. So my question to you now is, if this is talking about the Bible, do you see perfectly everything that's in it? If you do, you come up here and finish, and I'm going to sit down there, because I don't. No, in part, and then, then we shall know just as I am known. Do you know Jesus just as he knows you perfectly? No. He's not talking about this time yet. Keep going. Now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these of love. So he's talking about when Jesus comes back. We won't need these manifestations because we'll see them. We won't need the whale because there came a point where the whole whale came up out. Now we don't need to see the fin. We know the whale's there because we see the whole thing. But until that time, we need supernatural manifestations to do what, to help us with our faith and to be a witness to others that this is real. Now keep in mind, the Bible's talking about two different uses of tongues. The use that's primarily being addressed by Paul here is, is the use in a church service. And we just don't, that doesn't happen here. And it, and, and, 
and, and it needs to. We need to get more into the gifts of this because they're legitimate. And I've held back because of people not understanding, out of concern, you know, things are going crazy, but, but, but this is what's in the Bible. All right? And we've done it before and we had a procedure for it before, so we're not looking for chaos. Because if you went on and read in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says God's not an author, it's confusion. And what was happening was confusion. So there was an order to it. But the point is, what Paul's talking about here primarily is the use within a church service. But there's a private use, a personal use. It's to edify yourself. I I want to end with this story. This is my own story. My wife and I, I, how this happened is I don't need to get into, but we were saved, I think it was 78, 1978, which was the end, coming to the end of the charismatic renewal. And and we weren't weren't Catholic, we weren't raised Catholic. but the only thing that we could find that was going on around that was any kind of Bible study was at a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting. So we went with a friend and sat there and that's when we were introduced to the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, we just saw amazing things. And they were just open to anything the Spirit wanted to do. But the problem was they had no t- teaching on the Word. So there was no doctrine, there was no boundaries. And we saw, we saw people thinking God told them things that clearly God didn't tell. It was a friend of ours that she got in, was in a trance, thought she was in a trance, and she thought God told her to leave her husband in the trance. There's no way God told her to leave her husband because that's not what the Word tells her to do. But when you don't have the Word built in you, you don't know how to discern what's God from what's not God. But if you just have the Word in you and the Spirit's not working through you, there's no life in it. So, so, but we went through the course that they had because Catholics had a course called Life in the Spirit and we went through that course and were diligent to go through the course and learned the material. You know. And we go up, it ended with a Mass. And we go up to this Mass, which I don't know that I've ever been in a Mass before. And, and, and it was a church in a round and, and they're having you stand up and go through what we did a few weeks ago and there was a priest there and he'd lay hands on you and pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I knew I had the Holy Spirit in me because I couldn't understand the Bible if I didn't have the Spirit in me. And so, so he lays, so I'm watching people go down, and he, and he goes and lays hands, and they're falling down, and I never saw anything like that. I wonder where the paramedics are. What's going on? And it's happening all around. It's like, what is going on here? And now I'm getting uptight. I'm starting to sweat. And I'm sitting here, and he's sitting here, there's this big guy, about Jeff's size, sitting next to me. Right? And, and, and I said, he's never going down, so I'm safe. He stands up and the priest went like this and he would boom! And now I'm shaking. <laughs> and I'm determined I'm not going down. And guess what? I did not go down. Because that's not the issue. But I got so tight. So we were meeting with these friends of ours that actually had led us to the Lord. And he was a, 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 he was a pastor. They were both spirit-filled. And, and we're talking about this and, and I'm, we're talking, learning about the things I'm teaching you about tongues and it's like... And, and, I'm, I'm, and, and I can't do it. I'm sitting around, we're praying, you know, haba, 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 trying to make it come up, you know, haba, 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 and it's just, it's just all coming out of here. And this went on for weeks. I'm sharing this with you to encourage some of you. This went on for weeks, and I'm getting frustrated. And see, when you get frustrated, it shuts you down. It's receiving a gift. But sometimes you've got to get so frustrated you ask. So one night I said, that's it. So I, everybody else went to bed and I went downstairs and I sat on the edge of our couch and I said, God, we have to have this out. I don't know what's wrong. But why am I having so much trouble? He said, um, how did you receive Jesus? I said, by faith. He said, that's right. That's how you receive everything from me. I said, you mean I already have it? He said, of course. You just have to start acting like you have it. So I opened my mouth. See, they spoke. 
The Spirit didn't take over and make them speak. The Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was this thing down inside of me. I thought I'd been there all along. But, and, and all of a sudden, the Lord gives me understanding because I'm going... I'm, I'm, it's, it's trying to come out. And the Lord showed me suddenly. He says, you're afraid you're not going to sound sophisticated because you want to have an image of yourself. I mean, I'm a lawyer in a large firm on State Street in Boston. You get an image of yourself. You Don't look at me like that. You all have images of yourself too. <laughs> and, and I was choking on this. And the Lord says, because you're afraid to release whatever comes out of your mouth because it may make you look foolish. And that's the very reason you need to do it. And the moment I saw that, I let go. And an hour and a half later, I'm still flowing. I'm telling you, I've never felt like feeling it now. The energy flowing out of me, it's like, it just began, it was like that well, of that, that fountain of living water just flowing up out of me. And my brain just was freaking out, but I didn't care. As the spirit in me was becoming more and more alive and more conscious of it. And now I'm going, I think, can I stop? So I decided to try, literally an hour and a half. I didn't care that it was two in the morning. So I stopped. Now the question is, uh uh-oh, can I start again? He said, it's as you speak. The Spirit will give you utterance as you speak. So many times people are waiting for the Spirit to take over, and He's waiting for you to open your mouth in faith and begin to speak. But the biggest thing is to relax and surrender yourself to Him. Surrender the control of your mind, of your thoughts to Him. That's safe to surrender it, surrender it to Him. So that's my story. Hopefully that encourages some of you that have been around and, and you're, you know, the, trying and... Stop trying and receive. Stop trying. Did you try to get saved? It doesn't work. It's a gift. It's a free gift. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is it entered into the hearts of men. Oh, Lord, how to end this service. <laughs> we got to do communion. Before we do communion, we have to always, we always, not just before communion, give you an opportunity, whether you're watching online or you're here present, to receive Christ if you've never received Him. Maybe you've been raised in church the way I was and you learned that God is real and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came and gave His life up to pay for our sins and that's wonderful. I grew up in church believing that also. But there came a day when I discovered that that wasn't enough. The Bible says, Jesus says you must be born again. That's a personal experience. My, your, phys- your, your physical birth was a personal experience. Something that was personally done to you when you were born and came forth out of your mother's womb. And this is also a personal thing between you and Christ. It's when you receive Him into your life, as you're into your heart, as the one that paid for your sins. Not the sins of the world. He did, but it's your sins. You receive Him as the one that paid for your sins. And then you take your life and put it into His hands to be Lord. If you've never done that before, I want to help you this morning by leading you in a simple prayer. It's something that you do seriously. This is not something you just do casually. And that, then I'm going to give you just a little bit of instructions and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Here's what you pray. You don't need to stand, kneel, whatever, just right where you are. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of it. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life as my Savior. Wash me in your blood. Make me clean in your sight. I take my life as it is right now and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. 
If you're watching online and you prayed that with me this morning, there's a number at the bottom of your screen. If you call that number tomorrow, someone will answer the phone because we want to send you some free material today, tomorrow for the decision that you've done today to give you a better understanding. If you're here this morning and did that, when you leave in a minute, if you go around to the Common Ground Cafe, someone will be there and give you those same the same materials. Thank you so much for joining us online. Stay with us because we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Pastor Chris, if you'd come up and minister that to us, please. Hello, church. If you guys would all stand, please. Thank you. What a wonderful message. I hope you felt encouraged whether you are speaking in tongues already or if you're in those beginning stages that many of us have all been in at times, but such a powerful tool that God gives us to do. I'm honored to do communion today. I did want to, I mean, it's certainly at a non-denominational church, it always bears to be reminded that this is not a religious practice, but a an intimate exchange between a Christ follower and that he or she is following between the two. You know, in the Last Supper, Christ could have gone on teaching many messages that night, but he felt it very important to provide communion to his disciples. And we are all disciples in this room, right? If you are a believer in Christ, we practice open communion. Uh, If there's nobody who has elements, please raise your hands. We've got ushers that are in the aisles that can give you that one packet. I did want to read quickly here. I know the the hour is growing late, but it's more of a, a greater point of view narrative in Luke. We've been in Luke a lot today, and you think I'd be able to find it, right? Here we go. (laughs) You know, here's Jesus with the disciples sitting down. I just want to read the narrative, then we'll get into Corinthians. So he took the bread. So just understand the perspective here as the disciples, knowing that this is so important, and that the value that Christ is putting on this, that we have to put the same value and the importance. But he took the bread. Again, this is Luke 22, Luke's account took the bread, gave thanks to God. This is Jesus giving thanks to God. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it up and said, this is my body. You can just imagine the disciples wondering, what are you talking about? This is just an element, a loaf of bread, right? But he is giving his body for us is what he was saying. It was given to you. Do this into remembrance of me. After he took a cup of wine, between it, he said, this is an agreement confirming my blood, which is poured out as sacrifice to you. So those two elements that you have in your hand, we know this, but it bears remembrance. That's why we're doing it. What Jesus has done for us is part of the breaking of that bread. And then the verse we know very well in Corinthians. Then they broke the bread into pieces and said, this is my body. So in Corinthians, I give it to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the wafer. I try and do this. Just in this somber state right now, we have Thanksgiving around the corner. What more time, what more thing can we be thankful as what Christ did on that cross for us and breaking his bread, his body. The disciples couldn't fully understand what he suffered because he hadn't gone through it yet. But we certainly reading our scriptures know what he did. He was made of despair so we can be full of God's love. He was beaten, the stripes on his back doing all that for us. He was brought to an unworthy point going to Calvary 
that they made him carry his own cross. And he did it for you so we could be the righteousness of Christ and God in us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much the opportunity we have right now to take this wafer right now, which is part of your body and what you did on heading to that cross and on that cross to die for us, Lord, in the breaking of sins. Well, let us always be thankful in remembrance of this. May you take the wafer and eat it. Then he took the cup of wine and said, This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you think, which represents my new covenant with you. So not only did he die for our sins, but he provided the opportunity of a new life in Christ. What a thankful thing to be. But it's only as thankful as we can be as what you walk in every day to know whose you are. This new blood covenant, that blood that heals us by the stripes of Jesus, that blood that has redeemed us and made us whole, and that blood that allows us to pray for our friends and family that don't know those covenants that need to know that as well. So as I'm praying right now, think of family members that do not know this. And think of also what he's done and what, how you're walking in God's righteousness. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. The blood that you said on this cross, Father God, we do not take that for granted. We are so thankful that that brings authority in our life, Father God, and covenant in the promises you have given us. To walk in health, to have a sound mind, to walk in peace. And to also do your will and represent you to our friends and family. We pray for those that do not know you, Father God, that are in our sphere of influences. Continue to give us courage, Father God, to be a difference maker in those lives. And as we continue to walk out our life in the blessings that you have provided us, provided us and the authority through your blood that you've shed, that we can be truly in you, Father God. You may drink of the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just continue to worship you right now, Father God, during this moment of communion, this intimate exchange between our Father God and Jesus Christ and us as Christ followers, Lord. Thank you what you've done in our lives.